robe of many colors that he wore. And he took him and, and they took him and threw him in a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him, and then... Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the, the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And uh, welcome this morning to Christ Central. And um, as we continue in our a Joseph Chronicle sermon series, I want to give you some background, especially for those of you who missed last week. Joseph was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Those 12 sons would become the patriarchs or namesakes for the 12 tribes of Israel. It was the way they split up back then. Well, as we learned from last week's sermon, Jacob had 12 sons by four different women or wives. Two of them, concubine, a servant, got asleep with him when ordered wives that gave him four sons. Then there was the first real wife, Leah, the ugly, but I got tricked into marrying her because I really wanted her sister wife, who was the mother of six of the 12 brothers. And finally, there was the beautiful second wife, Rachel, the younger sister of Leah, the one he always wanted and loved, but had to work 14 years in all to finally get. The one who gave him his favored son, number 11, Joseph. And the fight between these wives for their husbands and their personal sense of worth was fierce. And that fight extended to the 12 sons. Take, for example, what their sons' names meant. Leah, the unwanted wife, gave her sons' names the following meanings. Reuben meant, for now and finally, my husband will love me. And Simeon meant, because I am hated. And then Levi meant, this time my husband will finally be attached to me. 
Rachel names her concubines children. Yeah, she owned the rights to the kid born to her maidservant. She named her, she named him Dan, which means God has judged me for being barren. And then one kid, the other kid of the concubine, she had to sleep with her husband so she could have a namesake. Naphtali means this. I have wrestled with my sister and won. Needless to say, these boys, these sons of Jacob were born already caught up in drama. Then when Rachel, the favored wife, finally has a son after 10 sons by Leah and the concubines, the Bible tells us that Jacob loved him more than the others and made a coat of many colors for him to wear. Obviously, is a sign of his favor. So needless to say, and is expected, fueled by the drama, a family mess, the Bible tells us that Joseph's brothers hated and were jealous of him. Then on top of that, and the coat, and all that stuff, and all the drama, Joseph wakes up a couple mornings with a set of dreams where, surprise, the whole family bows down to him. Hate and jealousy hit the boiling point after those dreams. Now, to be fair to his brothers, they may not have been able to see what the 12 tribes saw as they read this story looking back, that the dreams meant that Joseph would be used and favored by God to save the whole nation from extinction. But more than that, Joseph would be used by God to save the nation from losing their spiritual heritage, from losing what it meant to be God's people, to live by grace, to be loved by God. Like we heard in last week's message, Joseph was the good news come in into extremely bad circumstances for God's people. And it was these worldly, broken, and painful circumstances that got to his brothers that led them to take what I would describe as desperate measures. As we look at this story, if we could imagine we were their brothers carrying around these names that just laid on us all the family guilt and mess and pain, they were so alienated, right? Feeling, right? Feeling so alienated, so hurt, so lost, that they didn't mind doing wrong if living around in the shadow of Joseph's favor and their rejection was what right was. The whole world, that's you and me included, or, or at the very least, tempted to go to desperate measures to fix our hurt and remove and cover pain and loss and drama of our stories and our hearts, right? We all got mess inside and out, and sometimes you just get tired of it, tired of feeling lonely, tired of being broke, tired of looking stupid, tired of feeling powerless, desperate to put an end to any situation or relationship that is cramping and crushing you and me. This passage today gives us a look at human desperation, our desperation, and then God's desperate measures to save us. That one, we are desperately separated from God's favor. Secondly, we are desperately working to fix our brokenness. And finally, 
we are desperately redeemed by the Lord. One, we are desperately separated from God's favor. Two, desperately working to fix our brokenness. And finally, desperately redeemed by the Lord. Now, the verses before the first one in your reading in the bulletin, I've already kind of explained that the Bible tells us about the dreams Joseph has that disturbed his brothers. One of the dreams was like a, a, a 12 bales of hay, and the other bales of hay bows down to his. In other words, guess what, y'all? Y'all going to bow to me one day. Your sense of worth, your sense of power going to bow to me. Then the Bible says he has another dream, right? And the suns and the moon and the stars, which represented his brother and his mother and his father or or whatever matriarch was around at that time, would bow down, not to his stars. The Bible says down to him. Well, brothers didn't take that too well. It disturbed them. But let me tell you something about dreams back then. This wasn't like, our dreams we get sometimes, right? We wake up after eating something wrong at night or after watching some movie we shouldn't watch, right? We wake up, hey, I had this dream. What do you think it means? It means you didn't get enough rest. That's what it means. It means you shouldn't have had cabbage after 11, right? That's what it means, you know. Um, I dreamed about fish, and this, and that means somebody going to get pregnant? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It just means you had a dream, right? But back then, and the way the story tells us about dreams, we have to be very careful about the Bible and dreams. Dreams were more than dreams. This was more than a dream. They, they, this was a sleeping vision from the Lord given to Joseph. And we kind of get that idea by how Jacob keeps it in mind and how it causes such a stir. Back then, you took dreams and sharing them very seriously. It was like saying, God showed me this about you and me. God told me this and showed me this. And their responses to his dream confirm that they believed it. They are desperately separated from God's favor because as they hear the dream, they hate it. It makes them react. It makes them respond in a way that if you had a dream, I'd be like, "Uh uh-huh, I'm keeping rolling. That's great. Dream on, dreamer, right? But this, 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 this dream says, you know what? This crazy thing is going to happen, and God is going to make sure it happens. And what it does to them is is God's words and vision for their lives, they see it, is too holy, right? It's too separated from the way they think and process. How can I put it? It just don't compute, right? This vision of what God wants is just too hard, all things considered. What God is calling for through this dream, through this vision, through his word for their lives, through their brother Joseph, saved by bowing down and all that stuff, it is just too much. You know what? I think it's good that we can't see the future. <laughs> you know, in your bulletin today, you, we all saw some of y'all. I saw some of y'all mouths moving. It was nice and loud when y'all declared God's providence, right? Didn't y'all say something about God's providence? Which means God is in control, right? That it's by God's means and ways that he fulfills his will and not you. We look at the word of God even. 
We think about our pain and we think about what God seems to demand. I say seems because it seems ridiculous. It's almost laughable. What do you mean, God? I got all this pain. I got all these issues. I got all these problems. I got this. I got that. And this is what holiness means? That, that I have to bow in this way? That I have to give all my life to you in this way? Man, God, I, I can't do it. God is calling us to be and go where we and our hearts and lives broken and torn up naturally don't want to go. If you read the scripture and you hear the the word proclaimed and it says something kind of rubs you the wrong way, that may not be anything wrong. It's God's word may be right in a situation that feels wrong to you because we're separated from God's ultimate sense of holiness. Sometimes we can't go. Sometimes it just seems impossible to do what God is really asking us to do and calling us to become. The Bible puts it this way, that God's ways are not our ways and his ways are higher than our ways. Impossibly higher. So unfortunately, many of us or or all of us at one time or another, frustrated by what God wants, go our own way. Away from God. Look with me at verses 12 through 17. The Bible says, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pastoring the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. I don't know. Again, I'm having a hard time. I'm feeling like Joseph's brothers too. Here I am, Daddy. Mr. Good Boy. Anyway. So he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man man found him wandering in the fields and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where, where they are pasturing the flock? And the man said, they have gone away. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. I don't know whether as you read this, you sense what I sense and get from this passage. They were not where they told their father and possibly were supposed to be. These brothers have wandered off far, far from the task they were given by their dad and far from where they were supposed to be. They were not living under and by the will of the father or the dream. You know, it is almost like, as I read this, that, that Joseph brothers wanted to get away from the dream and the dreamer and the father whom they just couldn't get with and connect and accept right now. I wonder whether they, hearing the dream about them bowing to Joseph with all the agricultural illustrations and, and symbolism, were trying to escape any situation that would possibly make Joseph the hero or in the field with them. If they could just stay away from Joseph and stay away from his dream and his father, maybe, just, just maybe it wouldn't come true or be true for them. Maybe they could avoid it by, by living and being in a way in a place that was outside of the dream and the dreamer. Maybe they thought they could just juke God's potential for them and hated will for them. Wandering. 
You and I, like Joseph's brothers, are desperately separated from God in one way or another. Because we are not living, right? Or have decided to live a life far from God. Not where we should be. Not near his word and will in the way that we should be. It's funny how when we see the God thing, Christian thing coming to gobble us up or or redefine our lives, some of us move just a, a little to the right or a little to the left, right? We need to just keep an edge of freedom, of self rule, of control. We need a dothan, right? We need a place we can go to say, I'm still a little bit in control of my life, Lord. Here's the crazy thing. Like Joseph in his dreams, we have fooled ourselves into thinking that we can actually go to a place or hide certain parts of our lives that we don't want God's control or reign over. You know what's the right description of our running and hiding our lives from God? Being lost. This story seems to imply Joseph was lost. No, his brothers, who thought they knew where they were, were the ones who were lost. They were the ones outside of the place where they should have been. It was not Joseph who was lost and seeking that day. It was them seeking to get away and hide. Let's face it. We all have foreign to God places, don't we? Thoughts behaviors, personal beliefs, right? They start to brew up a little bit. You know, sometimes we go in our minds to places where it's not biblical, right? We're we're thinking other things and dwelling on it. Some of us, we're going off to other relationships that are foreign to the ones we should be in. We go to stuff, sins that we have run and seek to hide in from God and don't really want to him or trust him or believe in him to deal with. Why do we run? Why do we hide? Because we don't believe God can handle it. Some of us are afraid for God to handle it. Which leads us to our next point, that that at this, you know, we, we are desperately trying to fix our brokenness, ourselves, to relieve our suffering. Look again at verse 18 with me. So Joseph comes down to find his brothers, and the Bible says they saw him from afar. Coming around the corner, here he is. We thought we had lost him. Before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of the hand to that Reuben might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. 
the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. And verse 25 says, then they sat down to eat. I'm just going to stop halfway. Now, the oldest brother, Reuben, convinces them not to kill him immediately, right? Right? Not, 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 not to... Uh, uh, assassinate him, right? Because by putting him into a pit that, is a, that, is the, that the Bible says that has no water was saying that they were going to let natural causes kill him. The goal was still death. The Bible says there was nothing in it. There was no water. In the desert, that day, in those days, if you went into a pit with no water, just like today, eventually you're going to die. And then the Bible says this. They sat down to eat. Now get this picture. They just basically buried their brother alive. And they aren't too queasy or guilt-laden to not eat. As a matter of fact, this is telling us when they sit down to eat that his death brought them relief from their pain. He was their pain. The dream he carried, the will they didn't like, it was their pain. They, they were against the way God was going to alleviate the pain, rather. And they thought, let's get rid of Joseph. No, no, I don't know about you, but eating means retreat and satisfaction and rest with the day. Nothing's like a good meal after a long work day, right? Nothing's like lunchtime. And there's this, ah, oh, well, I, I love food, so just bear with me. There's just this, ah, oh, factor, right? You see the chicken and all, you're just like, ah. Oh. And it's like the day could have been rough. But boy, that fried chicken, just, ah, oh, right? That cool drink. Some cake afterwards, some pound cake. Ah, just put you to sleep. It's relief. This was an ah, relief. We are celebrating moment for his brothers because they felt and believed that their desperate sufferings and pains would go away. They turned to sinful acts, to disgraceful, unbelievably desperate, crazy measures that matched and dealt with the pain and suffering and broken and sinful hearts that they had. I know when suffering hits, when that pain drops, when our loneliness, lack of worth or justice, whether it's emptiness or fear or some kind of depression or distress hits an all-time high, when it has taken too long for God to answer your prayers, when you and I get fed up of feeling left behind and the only one who does or does not have or get to get this or that, jealous and angry at the world, ourselves or God, when you and I, like Joseph brothers, are feeling distant from God, that we will turn and have turned to sinfully desperate measures to relieve the pain and jealousness and emptiness and fear that's on us. Where is that desperate place and pain in your life that's driving you to desperate, ungodly measures? Come on, y'all. 
I know personally how this thing happens. I'm like y'all, I get desperate, I get hungry, I want a break. I've seen and even done myself some really dangerous and stupid things. Like you, I've thought and done some really evil and counterfeit stuff. You know how many stories, especially as a pastor, when the light comes on and it is all told and found out that people look and say, how in the world did they do this? How could they? We had no idea it was that bad that they would resort to this. Well, let me tell y'all, it's time to stop being surprised. Undealt with by grace in the gospel pain will make you do some desperate things. Don't overestimate yourself in this area. Yes, your sin, your distrust of God, your brokenness is so bad, can be so heavy, your story of pain is so great that you can starve out and pit your marriage to die, right? For pleasure or relief, you could drink a fifth until it's forgotten. You could sleep with and live with this person you shouldn't in fear and desperation of loneliness or rejection. You could do and think really unhealthy things about your body when it brings you down. You could turn to pornography and drugs and violent behaviors. And some of us like edgy, not so good films and music and television, some of you have this ambitious job and money-getting stuff and friendships that are self-destructive. Yes, you and I, God's people and not God's people, can and will get desperate enough to fill in the blank. To get awesome relief and feel good and fill and satisfied. And justified by and through what is sinful and destructive. Let's be honest. Sin, your way of dealing with your pain, our way, my way sometimes to deal with my pain, can feel so refreshing and comforting and settling and justifying. For a moment's relief. But there's another side of our desperation. Not only relief from pain, but relief from guilt. There's something tricky going on in this story y'all need to know about. And you know, I've seen this story a million times. I read it. I got the Sunday school book, right? I've I seen the movie. I've seen the Broadway play. Joseph Technicolor Coat thing. I mean, we, we all know this story. What was the other one? The Prince of Egypt? That's the other one? Yeah, that's great. I like the songs. Oh, that's a good story. But, but these just regular real people. This ain't, this ain't no fairy tale. This is the truth here, right? So, so let me show you something that's going on here. If you don't know the background, this is easy to miss. So the brothers at first wanted to kill Joseph straight out, but the Bible tells us that in verse 21, this... Okay, I lost my place. Okay, verse 21, this. But when Reuben heard that they were going to kill him, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So he tells them, don't do this, but he does not disclose to them why. 
right? The Bible's tricky, not tricky, but, but you have to read the text and say, why is there this dash there, right? Like, he doesn't say, you know what, we should restore him to our dad, y'all. Come on, guys, let's do it. No, he says, hey, don't kill him, y'all, that I might restore him to the father, right? Like, it's that kind of feeling, right? He got the bubble over his head in the comic book, not out of his mouth, right? The pointy thing, you're talking, bubble, you're thinking, right? So the bubble is, is, is the key here. It appears that Reuben is not so desperately sinful. And then later, the other brother, Judah, seems to follow suit. When it looks like they're going to leave Joseph to thirst and starve to death, Judah says, let's come up with a lie, y'all. Let's not leave him in the pit to die. It says, let's make a profit over his, on his death. Maybe he's trying to convince him, hey, money is easy, let's do it. Let's not kill him. Why? Because he's our brother and his, his sin will be on our hands. And all of a sudden, Judah seems good, right? Another bubble over his head. Easy, miss. It's easy to think, right? Man, Reuben must have really loved this brother because look at what happens when he comes back to the pit. In verse 20, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in there, the Bible says he tore his clothes and returned to his brother and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Not where should we go, where should I go? Seemed kind of selfish to me. Bubble over the head, something going on, Right? It is easy to think again, man, Reuben must have loved his brother and felt sorry for Joseph for, 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 to let him be sold instead of killed. But here's the backstory to Reuben. You see, a couple of chapters back, the Bible tells us that Reuben slept with Jacob's concubine wife, his half-brother's mama. Yeah, these Bible people. Yeah. And the Bible says that Jacob heard about it. And then later, that, that's like, daddy knows I did it, and I know daddy knows I did it, but daddy don't say nothing. I'll never forget, one time I was mad at my dad for not letting me use the car, and he was just sitting on the couch. I'm like, dad, I just need to use the car for this. Well, I'm afraid to tell y'all why, but I want to use the car so I can go to Bible study, but he didn't want me to go. Yeah, I was that kid. Gosh. All right. So he was like, no, I need the car for rehearsal. So I'm like, I used some choice words on the way to Bible study. Yeah, y'all, I was hypocritical. Blankety blank, Dad, I'm taking the car anyway. Got in the car and drove off. Got back home, Daddy says nothing. When Dad says nothing, be scared. Be real scared. That means the punishment never ends, right? It's like he can pick a time, and he did. I had this date. Mm. I've been wanting to go out with this girl for a while, too. And I was having my clothes, got my cologne. He knew, too, had ready. And he goes, oh, so you got the two-seater bike now? I'm like, no, we taking the car. You ain't taking the car. No! That, that's the kind of stuff dad does. So the same thing happened to Reuben. See, this story makes sense. You see, let me tell you. Later in the Bible, Jacob takes the firstborn blessing away from Reuben for doing this. You see, I believe Reuben was seeking to trade his brother, the rescue of his brother, to deal with this issue. Not to save him. He was going to leverage his brother's other sinful act to make things right between him and daddy for sleeping with daddy's wife. He tore his robe and said what he did because he was not able to make things right with his father. He was done. Where's he going to go with the sin hanging over him and his dad? 
And then all you have to do is read the next chapter to learn all about Judah. He wasn't good. Judah was messed up. You know what Judah was like? For well, for lack of better time, I won't get too far into it. Judah was all about looking good and self-protecting and promoting. He was wanting to do just good enough and just not enough bad to not have to feel so guilty. He was the master of the white lie for good reasons. You know, it's better to not be honest. That could hurt somebody. The good sin guy, right? But still desperate enough to, to treat and use his brother as an object to get by on. This is hard to say. But some of you are here today in church as a trade-off for God. You think that if you do good enough, right, that, 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 right, that, that you are desperately trying to fix some broken situation, something that you did terribly wrong, trying to balance out the karma, putting a little bit more yin to the yang by being spiritual today. Some of us are hoping that our good works and good behavior and niceness and not being so badness will get us out of desperate situation and sin and broken heart. Maybe it will make God forgive us. Maybe it will help us forgive ourselves for the things we have done. But I've got some bad news for you. Like Reuben, it did not save him from being denied his birthright. And the lie Judah convinces them to tell does not give them comfort with Jacob. God will not let you get and does not give relief from the pain and desperation, the real relief for sin and guilt by giving him a trade-off. The church is not a pawn shop or payday loan place. Listen, trying to do good enough, lying to yourself and others, seeking relief for sinful choices will only make things worse. So where do we go from here? So what is a hope and help for our desperate lives of sin and brokenness if it isn't desperate measures? It's hard out here, right? It's inside and out. It's hard. Heck, I agree. I ain't special. Desperation hasn't skipped me. This life is impossible to not be desperate about. In fact, it will and does require something desperate to save and comfort us. Look back at verse 12 with me one more time. Now, his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. So he sent to him, said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now, I want you to understand what Joseph wanted to know in sending Joseph. The language here when he says, go see about your brothers, is saying, Joseph, go see whether your brothers are okay. Seek out to see that they are good and not in trouble. Jacob is sending Joseph out of concern for his other 10 sons. His intentions are they're good, but realize what it meant for him to send his son to them. It meant that Jacob was sending his favorite son to seek and save the lost sons for their good, but it meant putting him in harm's way. He sent his son that he would rather have kept by his side to go to sons who had shown disdain and contempt for him and Joseph. 
And what it did is send Joseph far away from his father to a place into desperate brothers who would take their desperate hearts and sins and brokenness out on him, putting the hope, get this, of their relief, their lies, putting their hope for freedom from guilt and hopes to feel righteous on him. How? By making Joseph suffer and die and sold out and away from them. I know for some of you, this is starting to sound vaguely familiar. Because <laughs> it describes through the life of Joseph here, God's desperate measures to redeem you and me. That he sent Jesus, his only begotten son, to earth, to a place of desperation, to people like me and you who are distant from the goodness and love of God, to a place in people who have desperate and broken stories of suffering and loneliness. He was sent to people who were trying to be right and good on their own, resorting to dehumanizing, self-deprecating, and destructive means to fix and comfort themselves. Not only was Jesus sent, he let our sins take him down to the pit. Do you know what another name for the pit is? It's hell. He allowed our sins to make him experience hell. And it's separated and caused to be forsaken by the Father. He let himself bear our sins on the cross. And he sought us out when we were lost. And he said, put me in the pit so you can get relief from your sins. Joseph brothers desperately needed to know the love and know that they were loved and forgiven by their father. They needed a gospel that said, you are sinners. You have been beaten up. You've been forgotten. Some of you have been mistreated. And I am a savior and lover of sinners like you. Today, you are my son and my daughter. I love and forgive you. At the end, it says this. Verse 32. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father. This is after putting, slaughtering a goat and dipped, it, dipped the robe in the blood. This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. He identified and said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All of his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol with my son mourning. The desperate lie, their brother's bloody robe and death did not work to make things better. I've got good news, though. The true story of Jesus shed blood for us sinners did and does work to heal our broken and desperate lives and reconcile us to God. When that pain and desperate feeling of jealousy, loneliness, guilt, fear, emptiness hit, Jesus has given you and me his bloody robe, if you will, to say and to see for all the desperate story and mess and sins that have become a part of our way you handle life, Jesus died. His blood is shed. 
which means I am now and can be with and right the, with the Father. Jesus' blood shed for me says, my Father, well, God will love me and does love me, and I will love him too now. You and I no longer have to be desperate and turn to our own desperate measures, but in gospel-drenched prayer and scripture and fellowship and worship and sacrament to God's in Jesus Christ, he gives us a desperate measure of grace for our salvation and our relief. Stop turning to your own and turn once again to the desperate measure God has provided you.